and welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, keeping you healthy and pain-free. This is podcast number 150, and I am very excited to have on this interview Neil Pearson. He is a physical therapist, yoga therapist, clinical assistant professor at UBC, and instructor for five yoga therapy training programs. He is the first physical therapist to win the Excellence in Interprofessional Pain Education Award from the Canadian Pain Society. He is the founding chair of the Canadian Physiotherapy Pain Science Division, a past board member of Pain BC, and author of peer-reviewed articles and a book chapter on the integration of yoga and pain science. Over the past years, he has spent part of his time teaching pain management to primary care physicians and specialists. He has also developed a training program integrating pain science and yoga therapy and created many open access resources to assist people in pain and to assist health professionals. Neil makes the complex experience of pain more understandable while providing practical techniques and hope for change. So Neil, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hello Karen, Uh, thanks so much for inviting me to be here today. And just a quick background story, Neil and I met at the San Diego Pain Summit, uh, which was back in February. And if you want to hear a little bit more about uh, my quick overview, you can go to my YouTube channel. So you can just Google YouTube, Karen Litzy, the latest Sips with Dear Lair and Care, which is the uh, monthly the monthly uh, web series I do with Larry Benz and Jerry Durham. And last month, we uh, did a roundup of the San Diego Pain Summit, the uh, CSM, the Combined Sections Meeting for the APTA, and the PPS Fly-In at uh, Capitol Hill, which all took place in February. So it was a fun show, and you'll get a great overview of the San Diego Pain Summit. Um, And Neil was gracious enough to teach us uh, yoga uh, the last day of the summit at 7 a.m., which was, I have to say, the perfect way to kind of end the weekend and start the day. Yeah, it was a good morning. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was like a packed, I think like we needed more space. So many people <laughs> went to this yoga class, but it was really great. It was awesome. So thank you so much for uh, uh, donating your time for that. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, so, you know, you are... Obviously, a bit of an expert, we may say, in pain science. And so, you you know, as physical therapists or yoga instructors, movement therapists, I feel like you, we often get people with persistent pain or with chronic pain. And the research and literature shows us that people in persistent pain need to move. But as Neil and I spoke before the, we started the podcast, Oftentimes, people, when they have chronic pain or persistent pain, perhaps they move, and then maybe they have a flare-up, they have more pain, so then they don't move more, and then they have more pain, and it's this vicious cycle that keeps going around and around. So, Neil, is there a way that we can guide people to move more? And if so, how do we do that safely? Well, the, 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 the simple answer is yes, um, and at the same time, Point, the trouble that we have is that um, there is no real simple answer. And I know that sounds sort of odd, but um, one of the things that I think that we're looking for is the, the, the simple solution to a complex problem. So we see, you know, pain is, pain is such a complex uh, problem. And uh, so 
a lot of times we try to exercise and we try to exercise the way we normally do. And often that ends up um, just leaving us with more pain. It's uh, very discouraging, of course, for so many people to, to hear from their doctor, you know, you, you just have to get moving again. And then every time we try to move it, it gives us more pain. And, you know, Karen, I think one of the big problems is that, um, that we're, we're actually being told to use pain as the guide, as the only guide. Um, and if I said it a bit different way, sometimes in the yoga world, sometimes people are told that um, uh, it's okay if it hurts while you're doing a yoga posture as long as you can breathe calmly. And I think most people would realize that that's a, a fairly oversimplification of the problem is that uh, you know, people, can, people can breathe calmly um, in the face of torture, I think. You know, in the face of you know, a yoga posture that really, really hurts, you can actually practice and get good at breathing calmly. And so the, the, the solution isn't just being able to breathe, breathe calmly, just the same as the solution isn't um, to uh, just follow your pain as a guide. Um, <clears throat> sorry, is, is that making some sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And, so, go yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and I'm glad that you kind of touched upon the point of, you know, people tell people with persistent pain, well, you just have to move more. Well, if you just do more, then the pain will go away, which can be very frustrating to a patient in persistent pain. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. So, so what do you suggest? How do we get around that? How do we work with the patient to make them believe that it's that movement is possible and it's possible to do without exacerbating their pain conditions. Yeah. Well, and, and I think what we need to do is, is the first thing we need to do is get people to understand uh, a little bit more about pain and probably the, um, the most important thing to understand about, about chronic or persistent pain is that um, when pain does stick around, um, we, we typically attribute the pain to uh, only to what's happening in the body and that, um, if there's still pain, it must be that the body hasn't healed properly, or if we still have pain, um, it must be that uh, that there's there's damage when we move. And what we recognize now from science and from personal experience is that um, if you have pain that's sticking around, um, not only do you have something going on in your body, but you also have trouble with your nervous system being more reactive or responsive or sensitive than before. So that when when you have persistent pain, um, you've got actually got these two troubles. You've got uh, trouble with your body and you've got trouble with your nervous systems. And so what we need to do is, is try to figure out what will guide us to um, not pushing our body too far, but also what will guide us to not uh, making our nervous system even more sort of cranky or, or uh, reactive. And, you know, you said again, touch on something kind of important, and that is, you know, getting people to understand kind of the science behind pain. And because and, when you tell someone, well, you know, it's also your nervous system or, you know, pain is, is an, an output of the brain. The first thing that's not all people, a lot of people get it, but something that a lot of people say is, oh, so you're saying it's all in my head? Well, yeah. And that I'm making this up. So yeah. what, what can we use? What sort of narrative can we use to help these people to understand a very, very complex process? No doubt about it. Very complex. Well, I mean, one of the things that I, I guess the first thing that I would say is that um, 
I find it much more helpful for people to hear the message that when pain persists, that there is a problem in the body and that there's a problems with the nervous system. Um, the, sometimes people are saying, well, when you have pain, it persists. It all has to do with your brain. And I think, I think that message sort of screams loud and clear that you're, you're uh, in, inferring that it's uh, uh, a problem with a person's mind or a psychological flaw, which I know isn't the intent, but um, I think it, it sort of leads people down that path a lot more than, than starting with the idea, well, listen, you know, if you haven't been moving, we know your body can't tolerate as much as it normally would. If you haven't been moving, we know your body is stiff. So these are problems in your body as well, right? So I, I personally believe that it's really helpful to tell people that there's a problem in, in, in both the nervous systems and the, the body to get people to recognize that they're both and it's not all in your head and that's not our message. Um, it's interesting as you're, you're saying, saying this, there's sort of two uh, things that might help is um, one of the groups that I get to do a lot of education for is the, um, the Arthritis Society in Canada. And usually what will happen is they'll, they'll invite people to come learn more about um, rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis and about um, how to move. And typically what they do is they bring in a rheumatologist um, who speaks first and I get to speak second. And uh, usually what the rheumatologist will do is show lots of pictures of uh, people's worn out, um, really sort of gnarly looking joints and all this joint destruction and tell them all about the inflammation and everything that's going on inside. You know, so they spend 30, 40, 50 minutes showing them all these really horrible pictures and um, then uh, leave everyone with the message that, and, and you need to move. And so, I mean, one of the things that we know is that this is sort of the, the contrary to what we want, uh, we want uh, to do with people to help them move more. Because those, picture, those pictures actually create the sensation that the, the only problem is with the tissue and that if, if the tissue is really damaged already, of course, movement's going to make you feel worse. Of course. And talk about um, a little scary. Well, I, that's it. Right? And, if yes. you see those pictures, you're going to be like, I, can't, I don't want to move anything ever again. Well, yeah. And, and it's, it's, um, sometimes when I've done the talks, um, what I've done is ask them not to... Uh, not to introduce me until when I speak. And so, cause they typically they, you know, the rheumatologist speaks and then they give people a break to move around a little bit. And then I speak. And so if people don't know who I am, I can sort of wander around and listen to the conversations during the breaks. And uh, probably one of the most uh, big things is that, you know, people are saying, you know, well, with a story, like I just was told, how is it, you know, why would you now be saying I should move more? Um, because it's a it's a story of brokenness and a story of damage, and and we know pain uh, is more complex than that. Absolutely, I thought you were going to say I tell them to close their eyes during when they show. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I, I, I've uh, I've talked to the arthritis society a lot and try to convince them to do things another way. Although I, I think right now they they feel that um, the the thing that draws people in is the uh, the specialist, the rheumatologist. Sure. Sure. But, um, but I think what we need to do is recognize that what's happening there is we're providing a person a story of brokenness. And in terms of helping people to be able to move more, what we actually need to do is, is provide them with a story um, of possibility or a story of hope or um, a story that maybe it's not as simple, uh, pain's not just having to do with damage. And one of the, the simple stories that I'll often do with people is I'll, I'll put up a picture of a person who's uh, 
this, this drawing I got made of this person. He's, he's, he's building a birdhouse. And I say, so here's this guy, his job is building birdhouses. And, and he gets a call from his wife and his wife says, um, that the, the, he's got to come home because the, the pipes have frozen. There's obviously a, a Canada story, right? Clearly. So well, although it could be, it could be a New York uh, story at this point because it's still yeah. freezing here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so go um, ahead. Yeah, so he's, he gets this message from his wife that the house, the, the pipes have frozen and burst and the house is flooding and he's got to come home. So he grabs his coat and he heads to the door, but his boss gets between him and the door and says, get back over there, finish that birdhouse or you're fired. So now while he's, he's working on the birdhouse, he actually slams his thumb with a hammer. And, and I asked people, so, well, um, do you think at this point he's going to have more pain than normal or less pain than normal? And, and usually if I ask that to a group of people, it's pretty much split. Some people think it'll be more and some people say it is less. And, and I say, well, how about the idea that it could be more, it could be less, there's no way to know, which usually gets a good chuckle out of people as they realize that's exactly it. And then so what we say is, so here's this guy, he's got pain from hitting his thumb and say, so um, why does it hurt? Well, it hurts because he hit his thumb, right? So it hurts because there's a problem in his body. But then if you think about how much pain he has, what affects how much pain he has? And, and people can recognize that, that they, they already know that the intensity of his pain is actually based on a lot of different things, not just the fact that he has his thumb. Right? So he could be so angry that he has no pain or he could be agitated that he hardly even touches his thumb and it actually hurts a lot, which brings people around to this story, right? Because most people can understand that. And now they've just this, uh, sort of experienced a story that, that makes sense, is that pain doesn't just have to do with your thumb or your body. It also has to do with how your nervous systems are responding to you hitting your thumb. And uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just said yes. Okay. Right. So, so I think, you know, we, one of the things that we can do to try to give, get people to, um, to approach uh, moving in a different way is to start with this idea that, that pain is, has more, is, sorry, the pain isn't just about what's going on with your body. It also has to do with the nervous systems. And then people will say, well, okay, so what do I do with that? You say, well, one of the things that we want to do is try to find a way to uh, keep the nervous systems in a calmer state while we move uh, because the pain itself is making us do things that that crank up our systems our nervous system so the pain makes you hold your breath which makes your nervous system more reactive the pain makes your body tension you know our muscles just grip and hold on for dear life and of course that turns on the fight flight system and all this other chemistry of our body which gives us more pain um, and of course the 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 pain makes us makes us so it feels like movement isn't safe. Like any movement is is not safe at all. So, um, one of the things that we talk to people about is the importance of trying to find a way to um, keep their nervous systems calmer when they try to move. And this is a beautiful beautiful way that uh, yoga can help because you know it's sort of a I don't mean the yoga of putting your hand behind or your foot behind your head, standing on your hand, that kind of yoga. I'm thinking more of the yoga that gets you to focus on um, being able to calm your breath and calm your body tension and and um, and move with more ease or move with less aggressiveness. These these sort of practices of of calming your breath and calming your body can really decrease the sensitivity or reactivity of your nervous system. And so, if you can teach somebody how to do that. And then, and then they do it while they move. 
So the person learns how to breathe calmly and calm their body down. And then they actually do that while they move. And they might say, well, you know, actually it hurts less when I do this. And so there now the person has, has, has had an experience that mm-hmm. says that, um, uh, it's, that the pain is changeable or that movement is changeable. Yeah, and so, you know, essentially you're helping to kind of uh, make the movement a little less threatening right. to the nervous system. Yeah. So if you can decrease that threat on the nervous system, the pain generally decreases as well. Is that safe to say generally? I mean, obviously not. No, there's no 100% guarantees here. We're dealing with a living thing. Yeah, and I think, I think you're right. Is that, um, uh, and one of the other ways to think about it is to sort of flip around the other way is to say um, we're pretty certain that if your back is sore and you try to move your back and when you, when you try to move your back, if you hold your breath, and tighten your body up, you know, if all the muscles of your back grip or you on purpose grip them to protect mm-hmm. yourself, that that's, that's going to make, uh, you know, as you said, it'll make the nervous systems interpret the problem as being more threatening. Or we could say it the other way is that it, it cranks the nervous system up. Mm-hmm. And if that nervous system, your nervous systems are in that crankier state, then you get less ease and more pain when you move. So, you know, there's so many ways that we can say this. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, um, most people, we can get the idea of, you know, try a movement while you hold your breath and you can rip your body tight and see how that feels. And then say, so let's see if we can actually get you to try the same thing while you're breathing calmly and while you're keeping your body tension low and once again, see how it feels. And of course, yeah, yeah no, I, I think that's a great uh, advice for any therapist working with patients. I usually... Um, will say to a patient who's, like you said, very sort of gripping everywhere and not breathing and, and especially your low back or your neck pain patients, you know, the one thing it, that they will do is constantly sort of tense everything up if they go to move. And so I usually say, you know, I want you just to, I usually use the wrist and the hand. I'll just say, just keep your hand relaxed and, and rotate your wrist around and see how easy it is to do that. And yeah. then I'll say, now what I want you to do is make a fist as tight as you can and try and rotate that wrist around. You can't do it, you yeah. know? And so that gives patients, I've found that to be helpful because sometimes the back and the neck can be this sort of unknown entity that people don't really understand, but you can visibly look at your wrist and your hand and see it moving and then grip it very tightly and see how it doesn't move. And sometimes that helps to click with a yeah. patient, if they can see it, because you know the back and the and the neck can be this very weird situation for patients, especially if they've had um, persistent pain. And that and that even I'm not even talking about smudging or or things yeah. like that in the sensory cortex. I'm just talking about the patient can't see the back, so it makes mm-hmm. it seem like it doesn't exist. Well, yeah, it's 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 back there, right? Yeah, it's in the back. Um, but I, I think I think what you're saying is so true. Is we need to um, what you to me what you did when you got the person to do the thing around their wrist was that you provided them with a different story. So you instead of telling them, you got them to really experience a story. Uh-huh. Um, and and then the idea is, well, how does the person relate that to their back or their neck? And I think some people can do it right away. 
But I think there's there's another pr- trouble that we run into with with a lot of us when we have persisting pain is that um, we actually might need to practice breathing calmly for a long time before we can actually do it while we move our neck. Um, you know, we, we have this idea that everyone should be able to breathe calmly right off, but I think most of most of us need to uh, practice it a lot. It, uh, consider it as a skill to learn. Um, the same with body awareness, right? The more the more we um, the more we study it, the more we recognize that when we're in pain, uh, we pretty much get disconnected from feeling our body well. Um, and, and I say it that way because we we are very connected with the pain, but often not very connected with the more subtle sensations of our body. And um, so, if if we're saying to someone, "Well, you need to decrease your muscle tension," some people might uh, look at us with that that you know raised eyebrows, as saying, "Well, what do you mean? I, I can't feel my muscles are tense." Uh-huh. Um, and so, and I think that's another thing that's really important is to recognize that the the ability to breathe calmly in the face of movement that might cause pain and the ability to keep your body tension low in the face of movement that might cause pain that we should see this as a skill um, that someone may need to practice for weeks before they can uh, do this well and I think you know in, you, the question you're asking at the beginning is is what what can we what can we tell people to be able to move better I think we need to tell people that this is the answer uh, but you may not be able to do it today. You, there, there's some components to this because pain is so complex. There's some components that may that you may need to become a master at um, before you'll find less pain and better ease of motion. Yeah, and I think that you you said it perfectly that breathing for a lot of people can be a, a skill that needs to be learned. And I think you know a lot of times as therapists you know, we're, we really want this person to obviously improve and we really want this person to get it, you know? And mm-hmm. I think sometimes it may take that patient several weeks to learn how to breathe and to learn how to uh, perhaps use their diaphragm mm-hmm. instead of all those other, you know, secondary breathing muscles in order for them to 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 find that's more calming breath and do you find sometimes that maybe as a therapist are we being a little too quick to move on to the next thing oh absolutely and I, and yeah. what what do you suggest for pts to not or sometimes you're like oh yeah okay i think you got it yeah that's great but are we being biased because we want mm-hmm. them to get it and what advice would you have for therapists to kind of really slow down and to sort of really look at this patient with a little more objectivity because, you know, we want them to get better and they want to get better. And are we projecting this onto them? Well, I think, I think one of the things that happens along with it is that some of the systems in which we work only give us a certain period of time. True. And we feel compelled to push faster and trouble is that, um, for some of us, that the foundation from which we can learn to have less pain and move with more ease um, is the ability to uh, decrease body tension and and breathe with more ease. And so, if you just skip past them, um, it's it's trouble. So, I would say to people is that although um, breath work and decreasing body tension 
they seem like such simple things, I would say is that this, this is the foundation on which this person's going to get better. So spend more time. Um, you know, if you're going to see the person for four or five weeks, that spend a little time every single time you see them on working on these and uh, see how much you can convince the person in front of you that they actually need to be a master at this. They need to be better than anybody has ever been around this. I mean, that's sort of the view that we want. It's not this idea that you just need to learn how to breathe a little bit or you learn, need to learn how to relax a little bit. To say, no, you want to be masterful. Just like, you know, one of the things that some people, we want them to be, we want the person to know more about pain than anybody else. Because when they, when they know more about pain, um, that really helps them get better. So I think it, the same idea needs to be around breathing and, and body tension release. Um, you know, and I guess one other thing I would say is, is that um, I think a lot of us as physical therapists, we, uh, when, our, when people with persistent pain continue to have troubles, it's, it's because we haven't persisted enough. Um, we've, had, we've wanted people to move faster than, than mm-hmm. they're ready to. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I really think that's, you know, and I, I don't want to be like poking fingers of blame around, but I think that our system um, fails people because we, uh, we, stop, we stop trying too soon a lot of times. Um, and that, that's uh, if, if we could find a way for the, for the person in pain to try longer, keep at it. And, and really this is something I've seen through yoga that I didn't see in physical therapy practice because in, in physical therapy practice, you know, I don't see people for a long, long time, but in yoga therapy, you know, people keep on coming back to classes. Um, you know, they, they keep on coming to yoga classes. So sometimes I'll see people even like one, two, three years after the first time I saw them. And to hear people giving me the message that, you know, I'm still getting better at this. You know, I've, I've just found it sort of an epiphany. I realized that I thought I was doing this, but I'm not. And now I can actually calm my body even better than before. And I'm moving with more ease. You know, when someone says that to you a year after they started and, you know, they've been really trying hard, you recognize that uh, change can keep on happening. And what... So, you know, you're talking a year after, let's say two years, even if it's a couple of months. What about, because, you know, we all have those patients who have been in chronic pain or persistent pain for many months or many years, and they come to you, you know, they're putting their trust in you, and and what if they don't want to hear, okay, we're going to practice breathing, and we're going to practice taking the tension out because you know the, mm-hmm. they want well can't you do something with my back or am I going to do any exercises or what about stretching or what about manipulation and so how do you speak what do you say to the patient in order for them to understand uh that the breathing and and releasing tension from the body and being able to move with a little more ease is really important and is, is a foundation because we all have those people who, you know, like one of my friends said, we're in like an ADD society, right? We need everything now, everything. I text you, you better text me back. I tweeted you. How come you didn't tweet back at me? You know what I mean? Yeah. So how do you get an inpatient society uh-huh. or an impatient patient right. to slow down and realize that you know, they've been in pain for, for many months or many years. And so it's, it may not happen 
right away, but it will happen. I think, um, you know, there's so many different ways to answer answer this and it, it so much depends on the person in front of you. But what's the, the thing that's coming to my mind as you're saying this is that uh, often we'll ask a person when I've got them doing these things, I'll say, do you know why I want you to do this? And a lot of people, they will answer, regardless of what I told them up until this point, they'll say, well, you want me to do this because when I'm breathing calmly, um, it'll decrease my pain or when I'm breathing calmly, it'll distract me from my pain. And, and I'll say, well, you know, those are valiant reasons to do this, but you know what? I'm a physical therapist and I'm a yoga therapist. And the main reason that I want you to breathe more, learn how to breathe calmly is so that you've got a chance to do it while you move. Because if you can't breathe calmly while you're at rest in your best position, the chances of you doing it while you're trying to recover movement of your back or function of your neck or your shoulder is pretty much close to zero. So to get people to recognize that, that once again, it's this, this foundational piece that um, you need to work on. And, and I think for, the, the, for the, the clinicians out there, the movement practice people who are you know, faced with this a lot, um, that uh, I would say is uh, if you're having a hard time convincing your patient that there's a really, really fairly straightforward solution. Do you know what that is, Karen? Uh, practice? Uh, well, actually, it, yeah. What I, what I would say is if you're trying to convince somebody, you're having a hard time convincing them, mm-hmm. try harder. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 we, we, we are so prone to leave it because it seems so simple. We're so prone to give up on it too soon. Um, I was in, and I, I, I think of this because I was teaching doctors, um, mm-hmm family practice doctors about, about breathing. And they came back and they said, well, you know, we've, we've tried this out and the breathing stuff works, but a lot of times patients come back and say things like, come on, doc, I came in and you, you know, told you I have a bad back problem and you're telling me how to breathe. Um, take me seriously. You know, and they said, you know, we need something more to convince people. And, um, you know, we talked about it for a while and I just, well, um, actually what I, what I did was I got them to hold an ice cube in their hand for a minute and experience the pain you experienced from holding an ice cube in your Mm -hmm. hand. And then after their hand warmed up again, I said, okay, so, you know, that breathing practice that you're teaching your patients, practice it right now, like do it. Just I'll tell you when a minute is up. And so they did it for about a minute. And then I said, keep on doing it and pick up the ice cube again and um, experience that. And and they all experienced that it it hurt less when they did that. Mm. Um, So it's, it's, um, it's, I think part of the answer is to be more convincing but I want to go back to the question that you asked too, is you say, you know, what if the person is saying, what about manipulations? What about all these other things? I would say is that it, it's really, really important to um, get people to understand that um, all of those things that we do, manipulations and, and uh, if you, people are doing needling or whatever the treatment is that, that we're doing to our patient, um, these are wonderful things to be able to show the person that the pain is changeable. And then once the pain has changed, what we really want to say to the person is, so now is the time when you really want to practice that stuff, right? Here's the time, you know, with this, this treatment that I've done that allowed you to have less pain. Now what I want you to do is practice breathing calmly. Now what I want you to do is practice decreasing muscle tension and doing that while you move because you'll have the best chance to succeed while you do this. And that we know that 
people who get better and stay better are typically the ones that um, uh, the, the sort of more fancy treatments are used as a boost, not as the treatment. Mm, absolutely. And then also the patient then gets a sense of, of accomplishment and a sense of, well, okay, if, if I have pain, these, there are ways that I can take control yeah. and that I can sort of help myself. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to make the patient dependent on, you know, going to the PT once a week for a manipulation or a needling or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. You want the patient to be able to know that they can help themselves and that, that their pain isn't something that's always sending them back to a different practitioner. Yeah. And I think this is one of the troubles that happens is, um, you know, you, we try to teach clinicians about the power of breath and the power of decreasing sensitization of the nervous system. And these don't change people very quickly a lot of the times. But then that same person um, goes and learns how to do dry needling or, um, you know, doctors start doing trigger point injections and they, they can see this at the end of doing that treatment, there's this profound change in the person's pain and function. And they didn't see that with the other treatments. So therefore they, they see that, well, the, the best treatment is what I do to you. That stuff where you're trying to do stuff for yourself really doesn't work. Um, and it, it's really unfortunate that it's become a, a one or the other rather than if you could stick these two things together, right? If you could teach the person about breathing and, and decreasing their body tension and learning how to move, as you said, with this, this, I've got some control over this, I've got some influence over it, and provide the person with treatments that give them a lot of relief, this actually might be um, one of the best ways to help people move forward. Um, I, you know, as I say that, I realize that there's one, there's one risk is that um, because we all have busy lives and we all want the pain to go away really quickly, um, sometimes it's hard to do the hard work that we need to do to take real good control over these things when, uh, when someone else can uh, you know, spend 15 minutes with you and make you feel so much better for a while. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that's it. It's, it's hard work and it's commitment. Yeah. And if you want these kind of long-term results or, or perhaps full-on remission of your persistent pain, then you really have to take control of your health and you really have to understand what you can do for yourself. You know, as someone, I personally had five years of really chronic neck pain that rendered me unable to work at times, that, you know, was very depressing and very hard to live with, you know, and I did go from sort of PT to acupuncture to, I never went to a chiropractor, but, you know, tried exercise, tried all those different things. Um, And the thing that worked for me was the hard work. Yes. You know, and it was being able to relax and it was, you know, going to a conference and listening to David Butler speak for the first mm-hmm. time. And everything he said, I was like, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. And then I left and I was like, that's it. Right. And why has no one said this to me before? That's what I need to be doing. And and it was that understanding and really delving into the pain science and the neuroscience behind pain and, and understanding 
that it's my nervous system is revved up and that every time I move, I'm not doing more damage. Yeah, exactly. But that took a long time. Yeah. You know, and but now it's like I am I have if I have pain it's weird. Versus before if I didn't have pain it was weird. Right. You know? Well I think it's 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 interesting is what, what happened for you. Um first of all, you've been through a lot of things before you heard what David said, but what David did was he provided you with a compelling story. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of us the um the learning from someone like David or Lorimer is, um, you know, they're so engaging and, and the way they tell stories, they, they provide you with information, but they do it in the form of story that engages you and draws you in. And so it's so much easier to understand. And then I really think that what we need to recognize is that there's a lot of us that, um, that, that experience of story isn't as powerful as other ways. Absolutely. Um, I mean, in, in the in the yoga world, there's there's uh, considered to be four paths to um, well enlightenment, or you could say four paths to figuring it all out. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, the, the original four kinds of yoga. There was the yoga of knowledge, which I would say that's what you got. Right? Uh-huh. Knowledge changed you in a big way. Um, but there's also the yoga of um, serving others of um, selfless service and, and it, which is fascinating because we know neurophysiologically um, when you uh, care for others, when you nurture others, the chemistry changes uh, around pain are profound. Um, so some people get better by doing that, by, mm-hmm. by volunteering and taking care of others. Other people get better by, um, uh, by coming back to their faith or through love and devotion, right? Which, uh, that was another path of yoga. Um, but then, so you got the, those three paths, the path of, of knowledge, of service, and of, of um, love and faith. But then this other path that the yogis said that would actually work for the most people was the, the one that included the hard work, that included the, the breath work and the body awareness and the tension release and the um, paying attention to your, you know, being mindful with your thoughts and your emotions and, and all that which was the, um, you know, the, the, the path that I think a lot of people need to go down is this, the story that really changes so many of us is the story that we experience. So if I could show you how you could use breathing and body tension release or de- a decrease to move with more ease, You've, and you experienced that you could move with more ease, that may be the story that changes you more than anything else, more than me talking to you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everybody learns differently. I just needed to hear David talk, and within three weeks, 90% of my pain was gone. It's extraordinary, right? Because, you know, I've got that's, on my... That's all, it need, that's all I needed. Yeah. I mean, I've, on my website, I've got this open access recording of... of Basically, it very something something very similar to what David and Lorimer do, um, and it's it's uh, you know two hours and twenty minutes of it. it. I put it on there actually to help healthcare professionals. You know, when when you're trying to teach your patient about pain, if you want some more backup, well, here's this expert guy in a suit telling people about pain. So maybe that might help. But it you know not a week goes by without somebody sending me an email saying, Neil, you've changed my life. I, you know, I stumbled on your, your website or someone told me to go have a listen to these webcasts and, and, you know, I'm just 
amazed, gobstruck that, that no one's told me this. And now that I know this, everything has changed. So what are you saying? Well, I'm not saying anything different <laughs> than anyone else who's watching. What, what, is, what are you yeah, saying? Yeah, what is the magic, quote-unquote? What's that? What's the magic, quote-unquote? Well, I, th- I think the magic is, is explaining pain. It's, it's mm. telling people about how pain system works. The, the difference that, that I do in mine is, um, whereas a lot of times when we explain pain, um, it really is explaining about how the pain system works and how the system changes. But I just add on the end a whole bunch of stuff about all the things that I think um, will help us. So there's a lot of uh, telling people about breath work and about body tension release. But there's also talking about how you could use imagery um, in a very powerful way like athletes do to uh, to regain function. And uh-huh. um, the ideas of... of uh, you know, the different chemistry and hormones of your body and, and how uh, you might be able to, eng- you know, what you might be able to do to engage the endorphin system more or to um, produce and release more oxytocin and, you know, all these different things that we can do with our chemistry that that science suggests would help. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have as much, you know, we've got so much proof around uh, explaining pain um, and we have less proof around body awareness and breathing and sure. all these other things, but there's some uh, inferential evidence that uh, I put in there. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's any magic. I think it's really just just telling people what we understand about the pain system and saying, give this stuff a try. And um, and what is your website so that people listening to this can go and uh, take a listen to that? Because I know yeah. I will be doing that. Okay, so it's the website is uh, www.lifeisnow.ca. Um, so uh, I always point out that it is .ca, not .com. Oh, Canadian. That's right. And and although I am in Canada, it is not life is snow. It's uh, life is now. That's really funny. <laughs> I didn't even look at that. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's one of those interesting things. I actually live in the Canadian desert, which is a bit of a weird weird thing for people to know about. But um, anyway, so um, if you go on the website, uh, if you look under a tab that says links and resources, um, there's a lot of open access resources there, including the, these, these recordings I'm talking about called Overcome Pain. Cool. Um, there's another series that's called Yoga for People in Pain. It guides people through that. Um, and just like I say, lots, lots of other open access resources, really because there's a whole lot of us who have a lot of pain who can't work like we normally do or don't have as much money. So uh, mm-hmm. we, need, we, need, we need to be able to access this stuff. Actually, it's interesting. I was, I was talking to a business guy recently and he said, like, well, why can't people get that when they see their clinician? I said, well, I think it's really the really simple answer is that as clinicians, we don't have as much time as we need mm-hmm. to, to, to uh, explain pain to people and, and guide them. So we need we need to have these other resources that will help people um, and support what we do in our clinical practices. Yeah, and that's a very generous resource for you to have on your website for people to access. So that's really wonderful thing that for you to do. Um, and, and that being said, we're we're kind of running out of time. I told you it would go by fast. <laughs> um, so can you talk a little bit more about? The yoga that you're doing, you know, you're doing these yoga training 
programs and I know you have some yoga retreats. So can you explain a little bit about what you do with that? Um, sure. I, I originally started um, trying to bring together to integrate everything we understand about pain science with, with what I was, you know, what I was learning and, and experiencing myself through meditation and, and through um, yoga practices. And um, so I thought I'd, I'd share this. And so I did this, did this uh, workshop or retreat for people in pain where we were going through um, different breathing practices and body awareness and, and using those while we move. So very, very gentle, easy movement. But while we were doing this, teaching the people in pain about, about pain science and about, um, you know, more about the lived experience of pain and how we could use yoga to get better. And, um, so these were going really well, and I kept on having clinicians asking me, "Can I, you know, can I come?" And I said, "Well, no. These are for people with pain. They're not for for you." Um, but then um, I got I got enough questions of it. That one one time I I allowed um, two physical therapists and a couple of yoga teachers to come to one of the sessions, um, and what was really amazing is they they loved it. They you know they learned so much um, by being in a place where they could hear from the people in pain. So they're hearing the stories of the people in pain in, in a totally different way. They're actually getting, you know, as a clinician, when someone's telling you about your pain uh, or about their pain, uh, you're spending all your time trying to figure out what you can do for them. Um, but in, in this workshop scenario, um, they didn't have to because the people were asking me what to do about it. Mm. So they thought I was a genius to invite them in, right? Uh-huh. And then the people in pain who were there thought I was a genius because they said, you know, this is, this is something that, that, practitioners and clinicians never get a chance to do they never get a chance to actually try these things that we're trying and they never get to hear our stories so that was the genesis of i've now got these um this this uh, it's called a certificate program but it integrates um, pain science the lived experience of pain and therapeutic yoga uh, while at the same time integrating uh healthcare professionals and yoga teachers and people in pain all in the room at the same time um, and there's these two different um, courses that are part of this certificate program. They're both three-day-long courses, and um, I do them in different places around Canada and the United States. And actually, uh, next week I'm heading to Bahamas. Ooh, lucky you! Yeah, and actually uh, coming up soon. I mean, it's it's interesting. I'm doing it Bahamas soon, and then uh, later in June I'm doing it in Bermuda, and also in Taipei. Some people over there have really latched onto this as well. So it's it's there's a lot of people around like hearing about this information and wanting to learn more about how, how we can integrate these things. It's like we're, we're integrating, um, you know, pain science and the, all the science of neuroplasticity, which is, a, you know, is a big, uh, big wave in the world right now mm-hmm. with yoga, which is all, also riding this big wave. So we're sort of putting all those things together. So there's there's more information about those uh, on the calendar on my website. There's there's information about uh, where they are and when they are. Cool. Yes, I was just going to ask, and when um, where can people go to find that? But perfect. Well, you know, I think you've really given the people listening to this podcast a lot of things to think about and some really good evidence behind kind of taking your time when you're teaching someone how to breathe for lack of, or teaching someone how to have a more calming breath and, and how to release tension in the body to move with ease as the, the basic foundation 
for pain reduction and for continued movement, you know, without pain. Yeah. Um, and along with, you know, like you said, other, other treatments and things like that. But I think it is important to have that as a foundation and to not rush through that part with your patients. I think so. And I think, you know, the big message I would love to leave people with is that um, as much as it's great to find people, you know, clinicians who can help us with the more immediate decrease in our pain, it really seems that when we put together the things that we can do um, in sort of a long-term management program with what other people can do, that's that's often where we get the best results. So I, I just want to make sure everyone understands I'm not saying it's an either or. It seems to be both is a really great way. Yeah, so you kind of put them both together to sort of meet that sweet spot for the patient. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And one more time, lifeisnow.ca. Perfect. And if people want to get in touch with you, they can do that through your website also? That's right, yeah. All right. Well, Neil Pearson, thank you so much. This was a great talk. I'm very excited about this. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on. So thank you very much. You're welcome, Karen. Thanks so much for having me on. Sure. And everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. <laughs>